37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 217 of Pixelated Paranormal. Again, we are sans Steven. We uh, swear he's coming back, but we did our stream a couple weeks ago for the uh, Extra Life Pixelated for a Purpose. And I guess during that time, uh, his USB adapter for his Yeti mic got smashed somehow, and we forgot to replace that. So it looks like he'll be uh, waiting for Amazon to drop that bad boy off on his doorstep. I feel like Corey sabotaged that. That's a, a fuck you, Corey. <laughs> he may very well have. Who knows? Yeah. The good news is, fear not, folks, because the Grooves from Tucson is still here. With me, as always, is Presto. You just heard that smooth baritone voice a second right. ago. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins? I'm back for part two, bitches. <laughs> Have you guys started watching that fucking dumpster fire? No, I'm, uh, I gotta wait for the, uh, the the wife to get off quarantine so we can watch TV mm-hmm. together. So uh, that's that's on Damn. the plan for for Friday. We're gonna we're gonna hit that up and watch that. Hell yeah! Shayla started watching it. Um, I watched a little bit of it with her, and I just I don't know. I'm split down the middle of I want to watch it because I want to know more about it, but I also feel like. We've had just enough time for Netflix to really ham it up. And I don't know what to believe, what's going to be truth and what's going to be just, you know, fantasy and good yeah, one, television. The, uh, the, there's a news article that came out today. One of the guys that was a, uh, you know, ran a lizard shop. So he was <laughs> yeah. into like all the exotic lizards. I guess like him and his wife like got in a fight and like he was like threatening like suicide that a scare and then acts you know actually did it and so like Uh-oh. he's he's dead now so like Tiger King is in the news but in a bad way so well of course uh, you just said it right there we're talking about Tiger King Joe Exotic season two. Yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. And quarantine is such a fucking pain in the ass, isn't it? It is. When you live with somebody who's got COVID, like Shayla dealt with that shit with me for 10 days. It's just so difficult. You guys thankfully have a big enough place where you can somewhat do it. But fuck, man. It's just a big pain in the neck. So I like I I splurged when we sold our house and um, I bought us one of those... uh, uh, ghost beds that uh, goes into zero g gravity at night mm-hmm. because it really mm-hmm. helps me like stop snoring and um, super comfortable bed. Um, it's got like you know five or six different uh, positions that it can go into to help you sleep through mm-hmm. the night. The common sutra of mattresses. It, it is. It really is. And um, <laughs> so the extra bed that we have. Um, because my my son is at his mom's house because you know we don't we don't want to spread you know the vids around so he's you know <laughs> he, he, he he's away so I'm like oh shit I got Blake's extra bed and um it's it's not it's not the same and so I I'm sleeping flat now versus mm-hmm. sleeping in that zero g like 
baby position that I was in, like a fetus floating <laughs> in outer space. Um, and yeah. I wake up in the morning, my throat's like super dried out. Um, like oh, I'm, bummer, dude. You know, everybody in the house can't tell if it's the dog uh, snoring or me snoring because we're both like <laughs> super loud. So, yeah. you know, the dog's in a good good mood because he's like, oh, I get to sleep with dad. But I'm just like, dude, this yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, man, I uh, I was off quarantine the 11th of October, and my neck is still so jacked up from sleeping on the couch for that first 10 days. It's it's disgusting. It's so gross. I went to the doctor because I was having issues swallowing. Like, I was sitting there watching TV, and I was looking perpendicular to as I was sitting. As I was eating my dinner one night, I looked over at the TV, swallowed some chili or whatever it was I was eating didn't make a difference what I was eating because I couldn't taste anything. But as I swallowed with my head turned all the way, you know, 90 degrees to the left, my Adam's apple popped. Like it seized up, like I sprained it or strained it. And then like it locked up and I finally turned my head to the right a little bit and I felt it pop back into place. And since then, every time I turn my head the other direction to the right, it feels like someone's like choking me, like slightly just pushing on my windpipe. So that mixed with sleeping, uh, on a couch, um, my neck is just completely jacked up. Mm. Luckily, my doctor told me just, uh, well, you know, you're 36. You might start thinking about taking on a leave twice a day. <laughs> like, holy mm. crap. Come on, dude. So I got to take a leave twice a day and try to relieve uh, the, um, what do you call the inflammation in my neck. But luckily, he didn't feel any kind of like, you know, lumps, bumps or cancer or anything like that. But come the fuck on. I got COVID and all I got was this lousy... Adam's apple sprain. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> right. The joys of getting older. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of cheersing, Preston, are you drinking anything tonight? I'm drinking a uh, Walnut River uh, Oktoberfest. Ooh, keen. I have to keep my whistle wet, too, because I'm getting over a sinus infection. So if I sound a little nasally, I do apologize, guys. But to help keep my sinuses wet... Old Big Dobbs, when he was here a couple weeks ago, he gave me a can of Cosmic Eye Brewing Your Friend Death, which is an Imperial Stout. So that's what I'm sipping on right now because I feel like a beer called Your Friend Death just seems very suiting for the podcast, especially this episode. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it, man. Shall we, Preston? What are we talking about tonight? So... Tonight's tale takes place back in the year of 1817 in Adams, Tennessee, a place that would go on to be known as the site of one of the most well-known hauntings in American history. So well-known, in fact, that it eventually would go on to catch the eye of Hollywood, as these stories often do, and it would spawn the inspiration of at least two movies, and in its time, it would even grab the attention of a future president of the United States. But we'll get back to him later. Our story is known as the Bell Witch Haunting, a strange and bizarre and oftentimes even violent event of a poltergeist activity that provoked fear and curiosity in the small farming community which has somehow managed to remain an unexplained paranormal event for nearly 200 years after the fact. 
The facts and events recorded of the Bell Witch case would go on to inspire its own self-titled film, which, um, I mean, it was okay. It had Donald Sutherland, uh, or was it Donald or Kiefer? Whatever the, the old one was. <laughs> I think it's Donald. Donald, yeah. Donald. Yeah, he, uh, he plays John Bell. So, I mean, it was all right. And uh, it also served as the inspiration for the infamous Blair Witch Project, which admittedly only shared a small handful of similarities, specifically that they both attracted a great deal of public interest. And because it really happened, the Bell Witch is far scarier. Although, <laughs> the last Blair Witch movie I really enjoyed, like, uh, yeah, that's the one that uh, we all went to go see in the theater together. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was really good. And then the game... <clears throat> came out like uh, two years ago on Game Pass, and uh, I downloaded that one night, and, uh, you know, me and Bruce are sitting on the couch, and we're playing the, you know, the Blair Witch video game on Xbox, and uh, you have this little dog <laughs> that you got to keep alive because the dog lets you know when the witch is coming to get you, and if the dog Ooh. dies, you're fucked, and then it would, like, whimper on, uh, you know, the TV, and then Bruce would get all upset, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm killing my dog. Uh, it's you full really immersion. Start- yeah, you start to care about this this uh, this police dog, and uh, I was just like, "Fuck! I had to put this game down." It's not because it was scary, but I got too emotionally attached that I was killing my buddy. So, but oh. you know, I, yeah, I digress. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into it, shall we? One of the earliest accounts of the Blair Witch haunting was written in 1886 by a historian named Albert Virgil Goodpasture and his. History of Tennessee. He wrote, in part, A remarkable occurrence which attracted widespread interest was connected to the family of John Bell, who settled near what is now known as Adams Station around 1804. So great was the excitement that people came from hundreds of miles around to witness the manifestations of what was popularly known as the Bell Witch. This witch was supposed to be some spiritual being having the voice and attributes of a woman. It was invisible to the eye, yet it would hold conversations and even shake hands with certain individuals. The pranks it performed were wonderful and seemingly designed to simply annoy the family. It would take the sugar from their bowls, spill their milk, take the quilts from their beds, slap and pinch the children and then laugh at the discomfort of the victims. At first it was supposed to be a good spirit, but its subsequent acts, together with the curses with which it supplemented its remarks, it provoked the contrary. A volume might be written concerning the performance of this wonderful being, as they are now described by contemporaries and their descendants. That all of this actually occurred will not be disputed nor... Will a rational explanation be attempted? So as the excerpt says, our story begins in 1804, where John Bell, a farmer from North Carolina, along with his wife and nine children, moved to the northern Robertson County, Tennessee, where they settled in and built a farm. It consisted of a vast 320 acres of rich farmland, that laid along the Tennessee Red River. For the first 13 years or so of their time on the farm, they lived a pretty peaceful life. They were members of the Red River Baptist Church, 
where John became a deacon himself. The family grew and became somewhat prosperous. They yielded an impressive and successful harvest, and everything seemed to be coming up bell for them. Everything, anyway, until one day in the late summer of 1817, when something would happen that would change their lives forever. Several members of the Bell family suddenly began seeing strange-looking animals skulking around the property, creatures that resembled dogs or sometimes large rabbits, or in other times giant canines could be seen prowling the edges of the property, and sometimes, even more bizarrely, the creatures would skulk up near the side of the Bell house. Well, knowing that at the time, wild dogs wouldn't usually be seen coming near homes unless they had rabies, John Bell did what any other farmer would do to protect his family and started shooting at the wild dogs to keep them off the property. Buckshot, motherfucker! (laughs) But John would notice something peculiar each time that he would shoot one of these beasts. Even though several times John knew, dead to rights, he pegged one of these mangy beasts. The wild black dogs would never flinch or fall to the ground, but instead they would simply seem to lose interest and make their way off the property, as John was sure, at least on a few occasions, he had fired off a mortal shot, but he'd never find a carcass or even so much as blood on his property. On a few more rare occasions, when he swears that he must have been overly tired from farm work, he could swear that some of the beasts had two heads. Or more curiously, a few of them seemed to have no head at all. Then, as things started getting even stranger late at night, the Bell children started hearing knocking sounds on the walls and the side of the house, like somebody was outside knocking. But when John or the elder children would go outside to investigate what was causing the noise, nothing could be found. Soon the children complained that somebody was knocking on their windows at night to the bedrooms. But then they'd look outside and only be met by the inky blackness that was in the darkness. Then one of the youngest boys began complaining of what he claims to be the sound of something breathing by the side of his bed. It would inhale and then make some gasping and gurgling noises, which would keep the poor child up for several nights on end. And as in most cases of children being haunted, sadly his parents didn't believe him and would punish him oftentimes for not sleeping, believing that instead he was just trying to fight off the night and stay awake until the morning. And so in doing so, he'd be punished with extra chores in the mornings. And then the Bell's daughters began to experience something more sinister. One by one at night, the daughters would begin to wake up in the middle of the evening with a sensation of their blankets and bedsheets being pulled off and tossed into the corners of the rooms. Soon after this, the sound of rats gnawing on the children's bedposts could be heard in each of the bedrooms separately. But of course, as soon as the children would turn the lights on, They'd find no teeth or claw markings on the bedposts, and no holes could be found where the rats could have even escaped through out of the bedrooms. 
In addition to all this, each night, children could be woken up randomly to the sound of whispering and murmuring in the corners of their bedrooms. Well, finally, to the children's relief, Mr. and Mrs. Bell would begin to hear the phantom rats gnawing at their own bedposts. Shortly after, the whole family would begin to hear chains being dragged through the house and the sound of stones being dropped on the wooden floors, and the phantom gulping and choking sounds could be heard in the parents' ears as well as the children's in odd hours of the nights. But that's not all. Each of the family members would report that they could feel the sensation of an invisible force sitting on their beds next to them. Or in some cases, female members of the family would say that they could feel something laying next to them each time their sheets would be pulled off. It would be the same in almost every occasion. First whispering and murmuring, and then sheets being suddenly ripped off the bed, and the feeling of a weight sitting next to them, slowly sitting, and then slowly, even more so, laying next to them. The family was terrified, but kept the problem to themselves for well over a year. Then things became intolerable, and John confided in a neighbor, a Mr. James Johnson. Finally, he decided to invite Mr. and Mrs. Johnson to spend the night. So seeking validation for what they were experiencing, after they invited the neighbors over to the house to spend the night, James Johnson and his wife not only heard the sounds, they also heard words. They claimed to have heard Bible hymns being spoken at strange hours of the night in their bedroom. They could hear the voices as clear as day. But oddly enough, the Bell family itself could never hear the hymns, only the gurgling and the whispering. After several nights of witnessing these strange things, Mr. Johnson suggested that more people should be told of the incident, and a committee was formed, and an investigation had started. It was not long before people were coming from miles around to hear and witness this unseen force that was terrorizing the Bell home, and before long, the unseen force had gained enough strength, it now had an audible voice. When asked who and what it was, it stated that it was the angry spirit of a neighbor woman named Kate Batts. This is what most people believed from then on to be the unseen force known as Kate or the Bell Witch. So just who the hell was Kate Batts? Like most such stories, certain details vary from version to version. But... For the most part, all versions of the Bell Witch tell say that the spirit of Kate Batch, a mean old neighbor of John Bell who believed she was cheated by him in a land purchase, on her deathbed, she swore that she would haunt John Bell and his descendants. The story is picked up by the Guidebook for Tennessee, published in 1933 by the Federal Government's Work Project Administration. Tradition says the Bells were tormented for years by the malicious spirit of old Kate Bats. John Bell and his favorite daughter Betsy were the principal targets toward the other members of the family. The witch was either indifferent or, as in the case of Miss Bell, even friendly. No one ever saw her, 
but every visitor to the Bell home heard from her all too well. Her voice, according to one person who heard it, spoke at a nerve-wracking pitch was displeased, while other times it sang and spoke in low musical tones. That spirit of old Kate led John and Betsy a, a merry chase. She threw furniture and dishes at them. My lord, she even pulled their noses, yanked their hair, and poked needles into them. Then she yelled all night to keep them from sleeping and snatched food from their mouths at mealtime. What's interesting about this story is, like, you have all these accounts from books from, like, the, uh, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s that really seem to kind of solidify that no matter what happened, something had definitely happened. Oh, yeah. So it seemed that Kate had two main reasons for visiting the Bell home. The main one was to kill John Bell. For what reason, no one really knows because Kate, or at least the spirit of Kate, never gave a reason as to why. But the second more interesting reason was to stop John's youngest daughter, Betsy, from marrying a certain neighbor boy named Joshua Gardner. So over the next three years, the Bell Witch would go on to torment the family almost daily. Betsy would be the recipient of the worst of the torment. Her hair would get pulled by unseen forces. She'd be scratched and pinched and choked. Her limbs would start to swell, and she would complain that she was getting stuck with pins, like someone was poking her with sewing needles. While John Bell began suffering from his own spells, his throat would oftentimes swell up, and oftentimes he had the feeling of a stick being stuck sideways in his throat. Then came the twitching and the jerking of the facial muscles. Kate would blast him with curses and hideous threats during these spells. All the while, his face would droop, almost like he had a stroke. As time went on, John Bell became weaker and weaker. And then, of course, as time would go by the by, the spirit of Kate would go on to demonstrate a sense of growing intelligence. In the beginning of the haunting, the witch, as we would know her as, would be able to respond to questions which would have numerical answers, by knocking with the number that corresponded to the answer. For instance, one day John, in complete disbelief that whatever the wraith was, had some sort of intelligence, had asked, How many horses do we have in our stable? To which the entire family heard a steady twelve knocks on the side of the house. And sure enough, the Bell family did indeed own twelve horses. Time continued to go by, and the witch had begun to quote and mock Bible verses, as well as curse at John, spurning several of his physical attacks. One night, while walking home from an afternoon out with her boyfriend, then Mr. Gardner, Betsy passed a lone tree outside their property where she saw a beautiful woman sitting up at a tree branch. She had on a long, flowing red dress, Curiously, Betsy looked up and called out to this beautiful woman sitting high up in the oak tree. When the being looked down and the wind blew her hair, Betsy realized it was no beautiful maiden at all, but instead, this thing had a wrinkled, disgusting face of an old, shrewd woman. The old witch yelled down, you shall not marry the gardener boy, and if you do, 
many curses will go on to you and your descendants. Betsy in terror threw her hands up and ran all the way back to the farm to tell her family what exactly happened. Now, like we said before, Kate, or the Bell Witch, or whatever the fuck this thing was, performed its ultimate act of vengeance. Upon the man, she claimed it cheated her. And she murdered old John. Fucking chopped him up and fed him to some tigers or something, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> In October 1820, John Bell was struck with an illness while walking to the pig pen on his farm. Oddly enough, from that point on, John had much uh, difficulty speaking and swallowing, so probably had a fucking stroke, and was bedridden for several weeks. His health declined, and uh, some believe that he had simply, yeah, suffered a stroke. Look at that. Fucking expert here, fellas. Uh, mothers <laughs> that's believe what you get when you ad-lib. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and others believe it was the work of the Bell Witch. The Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee, tells this part of the story as part of the local folklore. On the morning of December 19th, he failed to wake at his regular time. When the family noticed he was sleeping unnaturally, they attempted to arouse him. They discovered Bell with a super and couldn't completely awaken. John Jr. went to the medicine cupboard to get his father's medicine and noticed it was gone, with a strange vial in its place. A bizarre, smoky liquid inside. No one claimed to have replaced the medicine with the vial. A doctor was summoned to the house. The witch began taunting that she had placed the vial in the medicine cabinet and given Bell a dose of it while he slept. Contents of the vial were tested on a cat and discovered to be highly poisonous. <laughs> John Bell died on December 20th. God damn, poor cat. I know. What the fuck science is this? Yeah. Well... Looks like your dad died. We think it's this smoky liquid. Quick, get that barn cat. Yeah. Well, uh, the barn cat died too, so sure as shit, this is probably what killed your dad. Yeah, it's poison. I mean, <laughs> uh, we're not real scientists, but, uh, you, you know, you have a two plus two equals five. Uh, it's a poison right here. <laughs> Whew. Anyways, December 20th, Kate was uh, quiet until after the funeral. After the grave was uh, filled, the witch began singing loudly and joyously. Fuck yeah, motherfucker. Uh, this continued until all friends and family had left the gravesite. The Bell Witch left the Bell household in 1821, saying that she would return in seven years' time. And she made good on her promise and appeared at the home of John Bell Jr., where it is said she left him with prophecies of future events, including the Civil War and World Wars I and II. The ghost said it would appear 107 years later, which would be 1935. But if she did, no one came forward as to witness it. Some claim the spirit still haunts the area. On the property once owned by the Bells is a cave, which has become known as the Bell Witch Cave. And many locals claim to have seen strange apparitions at the cave and other spots on the property. Well, shit, I uh, I appreciate this story due to the fact that whatever the fuck happened has been wrapped up into local folklore and it's moved on to almost, you know, akin to like a cryptid sighting. You know, yeah. stories go on about, oh, don't go down to the Bell Witch Cave. Oh, that's the witch cave down there on the old Bell property. And like even today, 
there's a lot of people talking in high school hallways and, you know, late night date nights. Let's go out to the cave and see if we can see the old witch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, presto, damn. I thought she'd mentioned that a U.S. president might have had something to do with all this. I did. I did. So back uh, when there was all this uh, hoobaloo about the Bell Witch terrorizing the Bell family, people were coming from all over the state to get a chance to rubberneck and see if they could see the ghost or whatever the fuck was going on. (laughs) Well, the word of this witch has spread all the way to Nashville's own general attorney, Andrew Jackson. That's right. The $5 bill himself. The general who had earned his tough reputation in many conflicts with Native Americans was determined to confront the phenomenon and either expose it as a hoax or send the spirit away. So he packed up a posse of his best men and headed out to find themselves a witch. And so from the chapter of the 1894 book, An Authenticated History... <laughs> hold on, the- hold on. Um, <laughs> um, he's on the $20 bill, and that's my fault. That's a typo on my uh, side. <laughs> I'm so oh, sorry. <laughs> he's not Mr. $5 bill. He's Mr. $20 bill. Well, okay. Well, the word of the switch spread all the way to, to Nashville's own... General Andrew Jackson. That's right, folks. Mr. $20 Bill himself. The general who had earned himself a, a tough reputation in many conflicts with Native Americans was determined to confront this phenomenon and either expose it as a hoax or send the spirit away. So he packed up a posse of his best men and headed out there to find themselves a witch, boys. <laughs> From uh, a chapter of the 1894 book, An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch by M. V. Ingram, he, here's an account of Andrew Jackson's encounter. General Jackson's party came from Nashville with a wagon loaded with a tent, provisions, and etc. Bent on a good time and much fun investigating the witch. The men were riding on horseback and were following along in the rear of the wagon as they approached near the place, discussing the matter and planning how they were going to do up the witch. Just then, traveling over a smooth level piece of road, the wagon halted and stuck fast. The driver popped his whip, whooped and shouted to the team, and the horses pulled with all their might, but could not move the wagon an inch. It was dead stuck as if welded to the earth. General Jackson commanded all the men to dismount and put their shoulders to the wheels and give the wagon a push, by God. But all in vain, it was a no-go. The wheels were then taken off one at a time and examined and found to be all right, revolving easily on the axles. General Jackson, after a few moments, thought... Realizing that they were in a fix, threw up his hands, exclaiming, By the eternal, boys, it is the witch. Then came the sound of a sharp metallic voice from the bushes, saying, All right, General, let the wagon move on. I'll see you all again tonight. The men, bewildered and in astonishment, looked in every direction to see if they could discover from whence came the strange voice, but could find no explanation to the mystery. The horses then startled unexpectedly 
of their own accord, and the wagon rolled as light and smoothly as ever. So later that night, they finally decided to start a camp as night began to fall, and they settled in for the evening. Among Jackson's party was a witch lair who boasted of his supernatural exploits of, you know, exercising demons and, you know, boning all these witches. Well, this guy I fuck really... witches and get stitches. <laughs> right, right. Well, tiring of this so-called supernatural bravado, Jackson leaned over and whispered to another guy, By the Eternals, I do wish this thing would come. I want to see him run. Well, the boys pulled up their blankies and got all comfortable for the night, and just about the time they began to fall asleep. Their blankets and rucksacks were ripped out from under them and off the top of them. And sure as shit, the witch appeared. Now, she showed up and began to taunt the witch lair. Shoot me! Shoot me! Shoot me with your silver bullet! But the man's gun wouldn't fire. Seeming to be pretty pleased, the witch yelled out, I'll teach you a lesson! And swooped down and appeared to beat the man and lead him off into the darkness by himself supposedly tugging on his nose. Excitedly, Jackson exclaimed, By the eternal boys, I never saw so much fun in all my life. This beats fighting the British. Shortly after that, the wraith appeared to Jackson and said she would uncover another rascal amongst his posse on the next night. So, sure as shit, they said, Fuck this noise. And they noped the fuck out of Adams, Tennessee. And later, Jackson was quoted as saying, I'd rather fight the British in the New Orleans than have to fight that Bell Witch. And now, with all this, we're left asking one simple question. Who or what the fuck was the Bell Witch? <laughs> All right, boys, let's get the let's get the science hats on. Let's you know we're scientists, so yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna lay it on you. Well, listeners, a few rational explanations of the Bell Witch phenomenon have been offered over the years. The haunting, they say, was a hoax perpetrated by Richard Powell, the school teacher of Betsy Bell and Joshua Gardner, with whom Betsy was in love. It seems Powell was deeply in love with young Betsy, and would do anything to destroy the relationship with Gardner. Though a variety of pranks, tricks, and with the help of several accomplices, it was theorized that Powell created all the effects of the ghost to scare Gardner away. And so indeed, it was just a pervy old school teacher? Yeah, it was just a pervy old school teacher. And a uh, Scooby-Doo moment. Gardner was, uh, let's see who the real v- villain is, Shaggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's that Mr. Powell. <laughs> it's that pervy old Mr. Powell. Yeah. Gardner was the target of much of the witch's violent taunting and eventually did break up with Betsy, won't won't, and left the area. <laughs> it has never been satisfactorily explained how Powell achieved all these remarkable effects, including paralyzing Andrew Jackson's wagon, but he came out the winner because he married Betsy Bell. Whoa, interesting. 
Now, I'd like to offer another explanation that, uh, you know, we, we talked about two episodes ago, maybe three episodes ago, that you had uh-huh. that, uh, uh, you know, poltergeist uh, lady out of England. And, yeah, uh, that's funny. I was going to bring that up, too. Episode 214 was the Amherst poltergeist. Yeah. So it always kind of goes back to poltergeist activity. You know, you have a girl, you know, she's hitting puberty and she's emotionally distraught. And, uh, you know, you know, during the times, um, you know, she was in love with a pervy teacher, but uh, had to marry uh, old uh, Jimmy Gardner down the street and she didn't want to. <laughs> and those emotions were racked up high. And then bada bing, bada boom, uh, her, you know, inner self uh, manifested and, uh you know, the family already hated that bitch, Katie Betts, down the street. And so uh, that's uh, that's the uh, that's the form the poltergeist took. You know what I'm saying? Huh. I mean, you're probably not too far off there. If the Amherst yeah. poltergeist is uh, supposedly explained by just the um, pubescent adolescence of a young budding woman, then maybe perhaps this was too. And then I'd like to further point out, uh, you know, the Philip experiment – so if there's any modern day haunting encounters that, um, you know, deal with the, the bell witch and somebody's got, I got an EVP of the bell witch. It's real. Couldn't it be because it's so engraved in the folklore of the area that enough people believe that it's created its own separate entity that's now continuing the modern day hauntings? I mean, that is something very fascinating, and one day, when we do much more research, I'd love to get back to the idea of tulpas, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Thanksgiving is tomorrow, barring the episode drops on Wednesday, so right around the corner, we have a whole slew of fantastic Christmas creatures, you know, coming down your chimney, knocking on your door, barreling down the mountain, sniffing around your windowsills. And, you know, we've said it before, Santa Claus himself and maybe the rest of the merry, you know, motley crew that kind of totes around with him are all potentially tulpas. Mm -hmm. Because if enough people think about one entity enough, it's believed that psychic energy can give that entity a life of its own. So, yeah, I, I really think you're right, man. If it's not a poltergeist, it could easily be a tulpa. Yeah. Let's finish things off by getting back around to the Blair Witch. So back in 1999, the Bell Witch Project hit theaters and became a phenomenon. This the Blair Witch Project? Footage. What do I call it? You call it the Bell Witch Project. Oh! <laughs> tomato, tomato. That's fine. The Blair Witch Project hit theaters and became a phenomenon. This gritty found footage horror film possessed such realism that some people thought it actually was a true documentary. I would like to interject that that's the way that fucking film was sold to people, and that was the first time in my life I realized, holy shit, grown-ups might lie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, of course, it was clever in the way that they sold this thing, but, I mean, even having the actors come out and say, yeah, you know, it's real, it's real. But, of course, the film was fiction, but it's rumored that it was inspired by the real story of the Bell Witch. There are similarities... That are certainly there. The Bell Witch supposedly roamed the isolated Tennessee woods, a landscape pretty similar to Maryland, which is the backdrop of the Blair Witch. 
She tormented the Bell family with strange sounds and dismembered voices, sometimes slamming chairs, other times being able to be in two places at once, which are all occurrences that also take place in the documentary film The Blair Witch. The closest connection, however, is probably how the Blair Witch Project presents its own subject as a specter, which is steeped in local legend. Also in itself, possibly just being a simple cautionary tale of the aggrieved witch that dates back generations. A description that fits the Bell Witch story pretty damn accurately. And we didn't talk about this by, what's it called, by, by location. There was another account of, as all the rubberneckers show up around the Bell Witch, um, sorry, the Bell family's property, they would let some people come on and stay overnight in the property to see if they could, you know, catch a glimpse or a whiff of this witch. One guy who was in town all the way from merry old England strolled up and said, hey, you know, I've been hearing these stories. I'm not going to do the accent. I've been hearing stories of this bell witch and, you know, for a couple shillings, I'd love to stay the night and see if I can, you know, get a glimpse of this thing. So he pays the bell family, you know, sets up in a spare room. And at night, he starts hearing the whispering and the gurgling. And then all of a sudden, he starts hearing the voice of his parents, who are clear all the way over the pond in England. But the voices of his parents start talking about how they're so displeased with him, how he's an embarrassment to the family. They expect Oi, him to be you're so a real cocksucker, son. He just felt really disheartened by, like, what the fuck? Like, my family loves me. They supported me taking this, you know, trip across the world, blah, blah, blah. Later on, when he finally got back and talked to his parents, they said that, bizarrely enough, that same night, they could have swore they heard their son rummaging through the house, going through drawers, banging shit around, cussing and yelling and muttering to himself. And when the dad ran up, turned the light on, there was nobody there, but there was a big old mess in the common room of the house. So strangely enough, it's believed the Bell Witch could literally be in two places at once, fucking with, you know, multiple members of a family separated by, you know, thousands of miles. Mm-hmm. But that anyway, folks, is our rendition of the Bell Witch, a fascinating story and uh, I think I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah. That the, you know, despite all the technical errors we had with the fucking document <laughs> app, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, as Preston and I are typing this Google Doc, of course, if you don't know how Google Docs work, it's pretty fancy. It's kind of like Microsoft Word, but two people can be typing on it at the same time. We were, you know, typing stuff, pasting paragraphs, rewriting stuff, and... Anytime one of us would start working on the dock, it began to delete random sentences and lines of whatever whatever the other person had typed. And so it's almost like old Kate Bats didn't want us to do an episode. Yeah. I'm going to knock on wood real quick that uh, when we go to export the files that it you know doesn't crash or glitch. Oh, Luna, that's just me. I knocked on my desk and my dog just got pissed off. Luna. Well, we're going to finish this episode out with my dog probably breaking out into a howling fit that somebody's at the door. <laughs> no, fuck him up, Dad. Let me out. Let me out. Oh, Luna yeah. puppy, come here. <laughs> Luna, come here. 
Oh, she's howling. Um, yeah, so what says you, Preston? We get on up out of here. Yep, let's stamp it, cut it, and call it a day. <laughs> Poor dog. All right, cool, guys. If you're on the uh, social medias, check us out on Facebook, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. If you're on the old Instagram, check us out, PXL Paranormal, my poor puppy. Now, that's where we post, you know, episode information, companion guides, random photos that go along with the episodes, and plenty, plenty more. I just realized I never posted the episode post for last week, so I'm going to drop that uh, as soon as we're done here. Preston, what do you got for us, buddy? Well, um... You know, I haven't uh, got on a, our YouTube page in a hot second, but shit, we're up to 124 subscribers. Um, so, you know, I don't know how you like to listen to your podcast, but uh, this is a free country. So if you like to listen to your podcast on YouTube, if you like to listen to your podcast on Podbean, if you like to listen to your podcast on Spotify, uh, Audacity, holy crap, we're on there too. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, maybe uh, help get our uh, you know numbers up on YouTube there, listeners, and uh, go over and like and subscribe uh, to the page. And then uh, you know, listen, uh, Donald Suffer- Sutherland was looking a little crusty in the Bell Witch movie, and you might think to yourself, <laughs> God, I I don't want to look crusty like old Donald, you know, Sutherland there. And I got the solution for you, because let me tell you what. If you go over to www.bigdobsbeardbomb.com and then use promo code P-X-L-P-A-R-A for 20% off your order, I mean, you're going to have a beard. You're going to grow a beard. It's going to smell fucking amazing, and it's not going to look crusty like old Donald Sutherland. So you're already going to be, you know, be one step ahead of the beard game. And uh, the last time I checked, uh, he only had 16 bottles left of his very special edition uh, barrel age, which should have been called like, you know, Bigfoot swag or some shit like that. But we're not here to judge. Uh, I got a bottle. Sean got has a bottle. And, you know, I don't know if Sean can smell it or not, but I can smell it. And let me let me tell you what uh, I, I feel like, uh, you know, last episode when I ranted about Charleston Heston. Um, I smell like uh, I'm like a sexy shirtless dude in Planet of the Apes when I have that in my beard. I think it's phenomenal. So if he still has a stock of barrel age, do yourself a favor, pick you, you know, pick up a bottle of that. Otherwise, like Bay Rum, Sweet, Tobacco, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic. Dear God, he's got them all and they all smell, you know, phenomenal. So just go over to Dobbs, use the code, save some money and uh, don't have a crusty looking beard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well said. Now, even though I don't have my full sense of smell back yet from that COVID horse shit, Shayla did say that the barrel aged smells fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang over at the Pawnee and Seneca CD Trade Post. And on behalf of Big Steven, I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. 
If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.